I woke up, Victoria and I were just you know, eating breakfast, watching the news, and this um, video came up. I shared it to my Instagram. Let me pull it up real quick and show the show the podcast here. Let me see if I can share my screen. How do you do this? All right. So for those of you just watching, um, this fucking video got me super expired or inspired. Can you see this? I can. Let's see. I know I posted it, so let me find it. Be a good way to kickstart our let's see that's fuad uh, he's inspiring but this one my mom is 84 years old and she's at home watching mom i just want an oscar my journey started on a boat i spent a year in a refugee camp and somehow i ended up here on hollywood's biggest stage They say stories like this only happen in the movies. I cannot believe it's happening to me. This, this is the American dream. That was fucking awesome. If that, is, that doesn't inspire you. I was like getting all choked up eating my oatmeal. I was like, fuck <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I, anyway, I know we wanted to talk a little bit it. about like, you know, what how we got here and everything today we're gonna gonna do a deep dive into our backstories and um yeah i mean not that i have that that awesome of a, a backstory but i do think that shit like that is possible and that's so inspiring to see that you know he came over as an immigrant he was in movies in the 80s i believe like as a child um so even then that's cool but then he had a large hiatus and now he's on the oscars so i mean just goes to show like hard work pays off i get so sick of today's rhetoric of you know nobody can make it anymore blah 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 and i totally agree things are harder harder now than ever but that just means work harder you know um i don't know i i, I can see it from both ways but life is tough there's just no way around it and i feel like i mean i'm a true example of the harder you work you know the more you get the the better your life can be um, I've always been kind of a disciple of if you don't like the life you're living, then change it. Like, you know, you, you can do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just a little to, to set the tone today. I don't even know how to say that guy's name, but super inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I mean, and I think it'll be interesting for us to get to know each other's backgrounds a little bit more too. I know we briefly discussed it, but definitely a lot that I want to dive in on your side of things too. So, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Where do we start? Where'd you grow up, Josh? Man, so I am a Texas uh, born and bred native, so I'm a little biased as far as, you know, where I uh, think the best part of the country is. I'm sure a lot of people would agree with me, though. Um, Most but people grow- think Texas is the best, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually still trying to get Adam to move down here, so Might hopefully happen. we can make that happen and we'll have a nice studio in person one of these days. Um, but yeah, man, so grew up here in a little suburb called Flower Mound. Um, it's about 20 minutes outside of like actually Dallas proper area um, for people that don't know, like DFW, you've got Dallas and then Fort Worth that makes up the DFW Metroplex and then all the surrounding suburbs and areas uh, that kind of make up everything. So it's pretty overwhelming and we just like to refer to everything as DFW makes it a little easier. Um, so yeah, man, grew up here. Um, now currently live here in the colony, which is part of the DFW Metroplex, probably about 20 minutes from my hometown. It's such a um, weird name, the colony. The like, colony? Yeah. I thought like, I thought maybe that was like an apartment complex when you sent me your address. <laughs> and then I, I'm like, it's an actual town, the colony. Yep. I don't know, it just seems 
seems where but Michigan has a lot of weird names. Like I live on Big Beaver Road and when I remember when I first moved here, that sounded super funny to me. And I forgot yeah. about that because it's such a common road here. And yep. then I sent my sister my address and she's like cracking up like Big Beaver. And I'm like, what? And I remembered, <laughs> oh yeah, that was weird to me too. It's definitely a, <laughs> a weird name, but it's the, probably the most popular road in Troy, Michigan. It's funny. That is funny, actually. No, and I feel like Texas, a lot of just Southern states have just like weird, like just, I always joke kind of redneck, like uh, town or street names. Like my grandfather lives in Louisiana and he's on Buddy Brown Road and nice. just all stuff always makes me laugh. Um, but especially where you are, there's just everything's so much older too, like the streets and stuff like that. So yeah, here in Michigan, everything's a mile, which, you know, like eight mile Eminem. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that was an actual like street and that's how things go. So yep. it literally, I think, I think there's a, maybe there's not a first mile. One mile. There might be a one mile. I don't really know. Um, but it goes mile, like seven mile, eight mile, nine mile up into the twenties or more. Uh, which is that's weird. Crazy. Like eight mile is literally a road. And that's kind of what separates the, what they say, like white communities from the black or the, the affluent and the poor. So Eminem was literally living on eight mile right there where he was, you know, a white guy living in a very black community, but he was kind of on the edge of both. So he wasn't accepted by either. Uh, when you actually like are in that area, you realize the depth of that situation that he was in. And there's really? another, you know, another one of work hard and you make it like, yeah. Now, a white dude shouldn't have made it in the rap game to be probably one of the best rappers ever to live, and yep. especially one that came from the poverty and the the drugs and the abuse and everything that he did. Um, just a, another one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so I think I've told you my wife's from Michigan area originally, too. Um, uh, but uh, I forget exactly what town are you in now currently? Troy. It's in Metro Troy. Detroit. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. From what she tells me, um, everything's like pretty cleaned up there now for the most part. Like I know for a long time, people thought of Detroit as like not so nice, but she says that a lot of it's turned around. They've come in and parts of the city are super nice now. Yeah. Well, there's like Detroit, which is like downtown Detroit's beautiful. It's super nice, but you know, three blocks over, it looks like a tornado ran through there and that's how yeah. where people are living. You know, it's sad. I've done a lot of home care with mm -hmm. my like podiatry stuff and a lot of it was there. And it's like, sometimes I'd pull up to a house and like, oh, this can't be the address. This place looks condemned and there's people living in there. You know, okay. there's yeah. kids sleeping on the floor midday. I'm like, damn, they don't even go to school. You know, it's just, yeah. there's a lot of poverty for sure. So we're always very sheltered in our little bubbles is that, yeah, if you live in downtown Detroit, it's beautiful. You would never think a thing, but literally go street three streets over and it's terrible. Yeah. No, and I'm glad you said that. I mean, because so the area I grew up in, um, you know, very nice little suburb. We never had to really worry about much. And I just, it's always like a good reminder to have that of like, man, like we were so blessed where we grew up. We never had to worry about anything like roaming around all hours in the night, great schooling system, stuff like that. I mean, it's just, you forget that obviously there is a huge chunk of the American population that lives essentially almost in a different world than we do. Sure. Um, and, you know, I know we're both for obviously like, Hey, work hard, you'll be able to make it. But I always try and keep in perspective too. Like that starting line is very different for a lot 100%. of people. So that, you know, amount of work that it takes to pull yourself out of a situation isn't always just, Oh, you yeah. know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, probably where that idea gets lost. And, you know, I don't think people mean that maybe intentionally sometimes or from place of malice. We just forget when you don't live around or know anyone that grew up in a situation like that. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, even starting at zero, 
starting at zero is actually not too bad at all. But yeah. when you're in communities like that, you're starting in a, you know, in a negative and that's rough. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, did you, did you grow up with siblings? Yeah. Little sister. Um, shout out Bailey. Uh, great little sister. Uh, always got along super well growing up. And even now to this day, we always joke, we were like probably the only siblings that never fought because never really did. Um, she lives here in the area still uh, with her boyfriend, Nathan. Um, but yeah, so just the two of us. Um, parents are both kind of from this area. Where I say my dad was born in the Dallas area. Mom's from Louisiana. So kind of, you know, your typical like Southern family, I guess, if you would, or Dallas eyes, Southern, Southern family. So yeah. Are they your parents still together? Yeah, they are. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. They are this year will be, what was it for them? They just celebrated their 28th, uh, this last June. So June, so they're coming up on 29 years actually. So nice. they uh, basically had me on their one year anniversary. So yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Man, uh, we grew up, I mean, again, just very blessed situation, um, from the town and area, but, uh, more so just my parents, we had such a great dynamic and just such a good example for, you know, the typical household that you would think of, uh, you know, again, mom and dad are still together, never been divorced. Um, they both grew up in divorced families actually. Uh, so, you know, it was pretty amazing to see them, you know, come together and do such a good job as parents. So definitely very thankful for them and how they raised both of us. And again, just kind of the example of going forward for even Bailey and I into our lives now of, Hey, this is what it looks like to, you know, be in your kids' lives and, you know, have a, a successful marriage just top on top of it. Yeah. Uh, listening, you and I have very different upbringings for sure. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. No. So that's now, so we won't go too far <laughs> into mine. I want you to tell me a little bit about yours, uh, where you grew up, family situation, all that good stuff. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, we can't be any more opposite. I'm from California. You're from Texas, you know, rivals hundred <laughs> percent. Um, but Even I grew though up most in, you guys live here now. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of, a lot of Californians have made the jump over to Texas, but, uh, I grew up in, in an area of Northern California. It's very rural, very remote. So when people think California, they don't, I mean, it would literally be like Texas. It's very, very, uh, very conservative. Um, probably smaller than even yeah it's definitely smaller than like flower mound it's like we had one street light you know we have like oh, wow. farmers farmers and immigrants that you know immigrant farmers working there like there's just uh not a lot in my kind of hometown but how big is like population wise i forget the exact population tiny as hell i think i had less than 100 people in my graduating class it felt like okay. yeah okay. And I thought that was like normal, but then <laughs> I see, you know, I see other places where there's thousands. And, um, but yeah, I think, uh, well, I, I was born in a place called Ukiah, which is in Mendocino County, which is uh, a lot of people know it for the marijuana that comes from there. And then the next County over is Lake County. And that's where I moved, but, um, lived in that Mendocino Ukiah area for, I think the first eight years of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, early on, my parents got divorced and it wasn't really a, a tragic thing to me whatsoever. Like looking back, I, like I, I kind of literally remember my, my mom and my dad calling me in and they were like, it was kind of somber and I, I felt the tone was weird, but they were interrupting me from playing. I remember that. And they were like, you know, sit down, we got to talk to you. And then they, you know, talked about how my dad would be leaving. I don't think they, if they use the word divorce, I had no idea what it meant, but I remember all I got out of it was dad's going to be living somewhere else. And I was like, okay, like, can I get back to playing? Like, I don't really cool. I like, well, I'll see you at your house. You know, I yeah. really, so, I mean, I, I know that 
like a lot of parents feel like they're, you know, uh, traumatizing their children when, when they're getting divorced. And I would say, I didn't even really understand. I was like, cool, I'll go see you over there. I mean, later on things got, maybe got a little traumatizing through their divorce and the, the stuff that they went through. But at that time I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, and I continued to live with my mom. It was just her and I, uh, for a while, my dad got custody and everything. I think that's just kind of how the courts at least then trended. Like mom gets custody and dad gets a visitation. Like, you know, Wednesdays and every other weekend or something like that. Um, but I remember, I think I, I think it was when I was around five after my parents got divorced. I remember my mom like bringing up to me one night again, a situation where I was like, I don't understand why you're talking to me like this. But I remember she's saying like, if you could live, like if you could live with me under a bridge or like in a mansion, which one do you choose or something? I was like, you, you know, of course. And then was, I feel like literally that week I came home from school and my mom's like, we don't live here anymore. Like we're, we're getting kicked out. We're leaving all of our stuff and still didn't understand what that meant, but we were homeless for probably like a year. Um, we kind of just like slept on people's couches, um, slept in motels, eventually landed in a homeless shelter. Um, again, though, like that didn't seem traumatizing to me. And no, I don't really, I don't even like to bring it up because saying like, oh, I was homeless, you know, it has a, a weird connotation and I, and I don't want sympathy for it because to me, it wasn't bad. Um, you know, I was five years old and I got my mom and I, that's all I cared about. I was like, just mom and I were moving to different places, like a hotel for a night, you know, and for some people who are homeless and I don't, I, you know, I don't want to, um, take away from their experience because I'm sure for some kids it's awful. Um, but for me, it really wasn't that bad. I'd say the only thing I didn't like is we didn't have a car and we would have to walk everywhere. So like, I remember just dragging like fucking, but my mom was super stubborn. She was really into mental toughness. Like I remember being like super parched, dehydrated, you know, I'm like six years old walking miles to go to the grocery store and I'd be like, I'm thirsty. And she'd be like, drink your spit. And I was like, okay. Like, like swallow your spit there. There's water in your mouth. And I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> And yeah, that, so that was, I'm sure for her, it was an extremely stressful situation. I'm sure for my dad on the outside, like, cause he was constantly fighting for custody and he eventually did get custody, but I'm sure that was super stressful for him knowing that his, you know, five-year-old son is living in homeless shelters. And, and she was, I don't really know what happened to her because all of our life before she was, she was pretty well respected in the community. She was an RN. She taught at the nursing college as like a professor. And then one day she just up and lost everything in the house. And it was weird. So we, we don't fully even know what kind of happened to her, but yeah, that was uh, like my early upbringing until like um, eight, I think. And then I went to live with my dad, which is you know, a whole new like saga of my life, but we can come back to that later. Yeah. Oh man, that's crazy. I mean, and guy would say that's probably naturally where you're just like will to how hard you work and everything else like comes from you know you probably got that example from your mom a little bit of stubbornness there too yeah. um yeah. got a lot no. of stubbornness from her i mean i always say kind of like my dad is the analytical one who is like you know can learn anything and i've brought that up on another podcast and i learned from him that if you want to do something you just put in the work and you teach yourself like you know, if, if I told him like he had to learn string theory, he probably wouldn't be like, I can't do that. He would start getting books and learning it, you know, because I know he he's of the mindset if I put enough time into anything, I can learn it. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how I was. And then my mom was super 
super stubborn about things. Like, uh, there's a story that gets told all the time of her, like when she was pregnant with me, I think she had signed up for a triathlon or some crazy thing before being pregnant with me, then found out she was pregnant with me and continued to do the whole thing while being very pregnant. And yeah, it's just like, that's the kind of person she was. And she taught me early on to be like that. Like my idols were when I was a kid was like Arnold for sure. Um, if I, did, I, I specifically remember things like remember the uh, car doors used to use to yeah. wheel up the, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you had to roll up the goddamn window and it would be hard for me. We had like an old junkie car and, and she'd be like, would Arnold complain, you know, be like, Arnold, like that's right. You know, like, and like crank it out. And, uh, it's funny. Cause I didn't get into fitness until way later, but that stuff kind of, you know, I think it was ingrained in me. Absolutely, man. Um, and, uh, you know, I have to, what relationship with your mom today? Are you guys so close or she actually just passed away a few years back, like in the, the beginning of COVID. Um, I think it, I think COVID was probably what took her, but we weren't very close. Um, yeah. So while we were, we're kind of homeless and then my dad did get custody of me again, she hit me with another weird conversation. I'm starting to see a, a trend here. I should have, uh, mm -hmm. caught on earlier, but she sat me down, like, you know, when you're 16 and, and this is what I'm eight, like, you know, when you're 16, if you had a choice to live with me, you know, would you? And of course I'm like, yeah. And I remember just having that conversation. And then she tells me, you know, you're going to go live with your dad and, and I'll see you when you're 16. And I'm like, fuck, like, I can't see you for the next eight years. You know, that was devastating to me. I'm like, and I kind of like hated my dad at the time for it. I hated the courts for doing this. Like, yeah. I can't believe they're taking me away from her for eight years. So she was like my life, you know? I was just a little mama's boy because I lived with her literally on the streets as her and I all the time. Um, I remember getting in the car with my dad and just bawling and he was so confused. Like, I know he thought like, you know, you're a kid, you're, you're eight or whatever, seven, I think I was. And, you know, it's an emotional, but he's like starting to be like, I think we're halfway home because the, the drive is maybe 45 minutes, we're like, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And he pulls over like, man, what is wrong? You know, you're going to see her next weekend. And I'm like, no, she said, I won't see her until I'm 16. He's like, no, like she, she's got visitation. Don't worry. We're going to see her next weekend. I drop you off in a few days. And then we go to do it. And she was nowhere to be found. Um, and she was nowhere to be found again until I was 16. She, when she uh, summoned my dad to court asking for um, custody of me, which at that point, you know, I'm 16. I was a whole new human. I didn't yeah. even know who she was. So, um, but yeah, it was rough. Definitely probably rough for my dad. That was all kind of rough for me too. Like she just disappeared. You know, I went from, she was my everything to nothing. We sent her emails or not emails, I guess we didn't have email then really. We sent her a, you know, a ton of letters. Remember my dad reached out to all of her friends trying to find her couldn't find her. Um, I've always felt like that didn't mess me up, but I feel like it did later on in life, which I'll, I'll bring up maybe later, but like just having her kind of, I guess, like abandoned me was rough. Like I always, that was hard, you know, cause I was like, what, what did I do? I don't know if I said, what did I do, but you know, like why, you know, why was she just gone out of the blue? That was weird. Yeah. And I'm still to this day, no indication of kind of what really happened during that eight year period. Do you guys really not know? No, no. She was, I think something, something weird kind of occurred with her probably while she was even with my dad and kind of snapped and causing them to get the divorce and her to have like a steady decline. Yeah. Um, when she passed away, she was homeless. My brother, my, my brother from her, uh, and I kind of found out she was homeless, which we didn't know. 
Um, she was living potentially like out of her car and a, a like a storage facility that she had. And she got pneumonia probably from sleeping in a cold car that was like, you know, riddled with water because it was leaking. And we think she probably got COVID one of the first cases because it was right when COVID kind of hit. I remember my brother called me like, Hey, cause we still, I, I knew who she was. She was in my life 16 on, but more of an acquaintance. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my brother called me like, Hey, mom's in the, the hospital. She's got pneumonia or something I'm like, Oh, you know, that sucks. Like keep me up to date. And then it was like two hours later, called me mom's dead. And I was like, Whoa, what the hell? And she, yeah, it was just kind of crazy. Um, it was probably, she had a, you know, pretty weak immune system, probably caught COVID and it just wrecked because yeah. we didn't know what we were searching for then. But yeah, we have no kind of idea what happened between eight and 16. And then just the steady decline of her life was weird. Yeah. Man, and I mean, so I have to ask, like, going through that situation, like, what is that for, you know, I don't know, like, you and Victoria plan on having kids one day or anything, but I mean, would that, I assume, would definitely, if you guys did, like, drastically change, like, how you parent, like, your ideas on divorce, like, how do you, how do you kind of feel about that now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't really think that I want kids at this point, and that might be part of it, you know, yeah. I just, um, yeah, I mean, I fear... I fear that I wouldn't be a good parent potentially, or that my child wouldn't really like me. Um, and so I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. I, I don't necessarily really want them. Yeah. I just feel like there's a lot of parts of me. Part of me is really selfish still. I know even though I've matured, I'm still selfish and I feel like I probably, I just don't have the time to dedicate to another human being right now. And then, yeah, I'm sure a lot of that stuff kind of psychologically subconsciously stops me from wanting them too, you know, cause I was pretty upset at both of my parents for what they did to me through my life. And yeah, it worked out great. And I'm super happy to be alive and I'm super grateful to them, but I just don't want to put another person through all of that, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. I totally understand that. And I feel like there's, you know, anybody I know close uh, to me that kind of feels the same way as far as, you know, future plans for kids all have similar situations where it's like, you know, it's not, necessarily the idea of just kids in general it's maybe what i went through um that just kind of changed my perspective on it and yeah. you know has some background fear of like you know i would hate to put them through a similar situation so but i guess you know you never know also things could change and you could round a point in your life where you feel like hey you know i am ready for this or yeah things happen but i definitely don't think um i think some people like have this idea that it um if you do it's kind of like you have to or you don't have to and i really do think it's a person by person space person by person situation on if it is best for them or not because we could probably find five ten examples in our own life of people that probably should have gone the route of not having kids and we're not ready for it so i do think sure. there is like a responsibility aspect to that as well yeah. um and it's good that people are cognizant of that and you know the reasons why they want to or why they don't yeah for sure absolutely well shit that's uh you know my and again it wasn't all bad i really enjoyed my childhood i had a lot of fun even like i said when i was freaking homeless i it didn't bother me you know it when i say homeless too i never felt like i wasn't sleeping on a street in a cardboard box like we always had shelter somewhere whether it be at a friend's house or at a motel it was not traumatic i freaking loved action figures i played with my action figures i read comic books i still watch saturday cartoons so i had fun it wasn't bad so i don't want to put like a dark cloud over me like i was you know, this traumatized young kid um it was different i had a different childhood between you know zero to seven or so um but then when i'm moving to my dad's things got you know changed a lot 
Um, but yeah, how about, how about you? What about, you know, your early childhood, anything notable or anything that you feel like really shaped you at that young age? Man, I can't follow up with you on that one. Um, cause yeah, you'll see a big dichotomy between how we grow up here, which is good though. You know, I'm glad that everyone gets to see it. And like we were saying, the starting line is not the same for everyone. Um, but you know, Bailey and I, very typical little suburban grow, you know, growing up situation, um, you know, again, stayed in Flower Mound all the way until we left for college, um, great schooling systems there, um, you know, pretty much, you know, kind of the stereotypical, like all the kids are just always out in the neighborhood playing. And that's kind of how it was uh, for her and I. And, you know, it was great. Nothing I could ever pl- complain about, nothing, you know, super traumatizing um, at an early age. But, um, you know, just, I guess, from the way that our parents raised us and my dad, especially, um, my dad didn't grow up with a ton. Um, so, you know, it, even though we grew up not wanting for anything, we did thankfully always have like those ideas of like working hard. We're not just going to spoil you guys with everything. Basically, anything you could ever need is here for you. Um, but those, you know, values of working hard and work ethic were instilled from a very early age. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the thing that my sister and I both always took, like still being extremely independent people. Um, you know, once we both got out of the house, like we were very ready to start an own chapter and go about our own lives and not be dependent on mom and dad for anything. So do you yeah, play a lot you know. of sports? Yeah. Um, basketball was kind of my main thing growing up. So we're feeling enough, you're short. Aren't you short? Yes, I am. Bellies, you look you short as shit. You don't have to say it on here, but yes, I am. I'm <laughs> five nine on five nine, five ten on a good day. Yeah, when um, you look at Josh, when you look at those muscle bellies, you know that's a short dude. Because <laughs> if you see a guy with a really good physique who has badass calves and really good arms, they're short. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm just gonna. <laughs> I can tell. Like he's probably goes. between like five seven to five nine, and that's yep. like the ideal CrossFit body too. That five nine. Dude, I'm pretty sure like Froney and every, those guys are like 5'9". That's a, yeah. a super good height for athletics, Absolutely. not for basketball and not for like catching a football, of course, you know, things like that. But if you want to look jacked and be pretty good at a lot of, be pretty good at a lot of different things, like something like CrossFit, which you're a very good athlete when it comes to that kind of uh, cross training type stuff. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I knew you were a short little fucker. I- hey you say it like it's a positive thing but you know what's funny at five nine five ten i've never like viewed myself as super short it's more just like i'm not tall i guess like i'm in that middle ground of at least like hey i'm not walking around and people like damn that guy is like really tiny i mean i'm only 5 11 but the difference between two inches when it comes to your arms and what they look like or your legs is so it's night and day you know, like and just if, height wise in general, there's a big difference to the girls that like taller guys between five eleven and five nine two. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like when you're an actual just person in society, you know, leaner, taller, always going to look better. But when you're a guy with body dysmorphia who just wants muscles, like the five <laughs> nines are really good. Um, yeah, I mean, like you take a, a dude who's like six three. Like I was just talking to my buddy the other day. We'll get him on the podcast here soon. Um, he was, I think, he's six three. And his arms are like over 18 inches, but he looks like a lanky, lengthy guy. You know, I saw it because he was flexing next to Lane Norton and his arm was like trumping lanes. And I'm like, dude, it sucks that like being as tall as you, you don't get the respect for how big you actually are because you're a freaking big dude. Like, no, even my, when I got my arms like 18, they look big, but they didn't look what 18 would look like on a five, nine, you know? Yep. 
Yep, exactly. Well, and even like, you know, guys that end up being like pro bodybuilders and stuff that are taller, like it'll take them years to really oh, completely fill out their frame. And it's so funny because everyone will like act like they're small, but in reality, it's just they have so much more of a frame to fill out, right? From yeah. the length of their limbs and everything else. But if you looked at them just in person next to me or somebody else, they would dwarf me, right? So. Exactly. So yeah, sorry, a little side tangent there. So you played basketball. Yeah, basketball was uh, kind of my uh, main sport growing up. I played football and track and other things, uh, but basketball was definitely what I loved. Um, I was pretty decent for a 5'10 white guy, um, so just natural athleticism there. Um, but around my sophomore going into junior year, uh, I had already kind of started working out at that point and uh, really had started to develop a love for that side of just training. Um, naturally, I think... Really, my love for fitness just simply becomes comes from I just like to train. I'm one of those weirdos that gets a rush from it. It's super fun for me. Um, and I probably get that from my dad because my dad's a bit big fitness junkie, um, huge cyclist, you know, always active working out when I was a kid and always watched him pump iron in our, you know, home gyms. So that's probably kind of where I got that desire to be like that. So uh, middle of high school, I actually got kind of talked into one of my buddies of like, hey, you should uh, do like your first bodybuilding show or like see what this is all about. Um, so that sophomore, like going into junior year summer, I did my first show at uh, like 16, turned 17 a few days later and won the teenage division. And that kind of like set the story for the rest of everything else. It was like, man, I really enjoy this. It's what I want to do. I quit basketball, crushed my parents uh, <laughs> to tell them, you know, I'm going to be a big muscle guy who wears speedos and poses on stage now. Um, but yeah. And then that kind of like set the trajectory moving forward for as far as, you know, fitness being the, you know, big focal point in my life. Nice. Um, what about uh, you high school is for then I guess once. Oh you... yeah. We're still earlier on in life. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. yeah. I, I want to know what happened next. Yeah. So I moved um, with my dad who was now dating a, a new woman who would become my stepmom and really like filled the the shoes of a mom for me. So I'm forever grateful for, to, uh, to her for that. Um, but yeah, he was, he was, I don't know. I, yeah, I guess he was living with her at the time. Um, and that was another very, very weird situation. Um, she uh, was married previously, you know, like lover of her life. She had two children. Um, and then he, uh, I think they were, so this is a, a kind of thing that trips me out. Is like, I am the age now that my parents were then, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it just, that's like been making like for the past year, I've kind of been tripping out on that on just like my own mortality, like. It's just so weird. And now I'm at that age that I used to look up to my parents as being like, you know, the grand elders. Um, but so around like, you know, I don't know when it was, but they were in their thirties, I believe. Um, her husband had, I think, multiple heart attacks and left him in a vegetative state, um, which was a really weird situation because he, she was taking care of him. But I mean, he was literally in a vegetative state. He almost made no noises. He would kind of look at you. You could tell he was there, but he couldn't do much. Um, you know, she fed him, she wiped his butt, she changed the bedpans, you know, all, and, and the kids were there too. And it was really, really hard on my older brother, my stepbrother, who I just see as my brother, cause we became such a family, you know, they, my stepmoms, like my real mom, my brother and sister, they're my real brother and sister to me, but really hard for him because I don't know how old he was at the time, probably 12 or 13 or something, you know, old enough to have had a really good relationship with his dad and then watched him leave. Yeah. And 
then had to, while his dad was still alive, see my dad kind of come into his mom's life, which, you know, I, I don't blame her at all. She had taken care of him with probably no touch from another man for, you know, a few years and just very lonely. And she kind of met my dad one night and they hit it off. And so I don't blame her for bringing in a new man, but of course the 12 year old boy who loves his dad, you know, and probably hoped for the best that one day his dad would come out of it all and they would go back to their happy life. Um, you know, a new man moves into the house and he wasn't happy. And so, um, you know, there was a lot of tension, a lot of time about like my, my brother and my dad were head to head all the time. They hated each other. Um, they fought like, you know, big fights. And then that caused tension between, uh, you know, my stepmom and my dad, and they were still young and figuring out their own shit too. And, I feel like they probably shouldn't have had children. They probably shouldn't have even gotten married at that time. They were, you know, again, it's like they were selfish at the time, but I fully understand it. Like, shit, I'm selfish as hell now too. You know, they wanted to kind of probably be left alone. And it was, it's just so different the way I see kids be raised, you know, these days, like it's all about the kids and I, not to take away from my parents, they did so much for us. They provided for us, which is awesome. But like, I, I do feel like it was just like we were to shut the hell up and not bother them. And, yeah. you know, it was like, <laughs> yeah, you, I remember we would just try to keep quiet. Like if we were going to fuck around, it was like, don't let them hear us. Cause we're going to get in trouble, you know, like so different now when I hear like, you know, kids are just running rampant through the house and everything and, and, or they're being like loud in a restaurant. And I'm like, Oh my God, like that would have been the end of us, you know? <laughs> and I'm happy I was raised that way actually. Cause I think the, the way children are raised these days are, is not good. Um, but yeah, that it was just a really weird kind of dynamic in my household because of, of everything. Like, you know, I said, they were, they were just got to know each other. You know, those two, they were still in their like kind of honeymoon love phase, but now they have all these kind of grown children. And so mm -hmm. I feel like you can still be in that kind of lover phase and have an infant. And then you kind of, you know, by the time the, the kids like five, you're ready to dedicate your time to them. That wasn't the case with them. They were still in their honeymoon phase and they had all of us. And, yeah. you know, my sister's two years older than me. I think my brother's four years older than me. If I, maybe I'm getting that wrong, but anyways, we were old enough that we probably needed them there more. And they, they were just there for each other kind of, um, yeah. But anyways, we, I moved to a, a small town, Lake County with them and we had a lot of fun though. We, we lived on acreage always, um, you know, my brother, uh, he really kind of took me under his wing and made me the, the person I am, I feel like, cause I'm, I'm grateful always that I moved in with them too. Cause if I would have been that mama's boy that I was like, man, I would be such a pussy. <laughs> like, uh, and I know that's not politically correct, but like my brother kicked my ass every single day and I hated him during the time for it. I didn't hate him. I loved him with like, you know, he was my idol, but like just existing was scary to be around him and his friends, you know, like uh, the shit they would do to me, you know, like pin mm -hmm. me down and literally like bare asshole to my nose, fart in my face or yep. like, Yep. You know, just I, they would walk by me and punch me as hard as they could. They would hunt my friends and I with BB guns and paintball guns. Like this is every single day. Like, and you know, it made me into the man that I am. I'm super happy that I went yep. through all that. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, kind of funny. Um, you sound like most of my buddies that grew up with other brothers. And obviously I didn't just with my sister, I had my dad who was a hard ass. So I at least 
got you know some of that to make me tough but yeah it's just so funny i can just at all times just like kind of controlled chaos between the brothers like just either hitting obviously the older one picking on the younger one like it's just a rite of passage thing which you need a little bit of mom's love right to teach you at least to have that side of yourself but i think as a guy you need some of that sternness too even my sister was like harsh on me because she she was the middle child but she was still older than me so i was the baby you know and Mm -hmm. she felt like she was my mom and i was i remember always being so frustrated like i already have two moms (laughs) and then then my sister would be there like trying to boss me around and shit and yeah and she would just also go crazy on me sometimes she'd just flip out and like be swinging and hitting me and stuff so we had fun we all loved each other but i'm glad that i grew up in that kind of uh, just getting picked on and and learning that my role too, like learning I am the baby and that means something. There's so many people these days that are at the bottom and think that they expect more. And, you know, I never had a problem with that, like all through my schooling and everything. Like I knew when I was at the bottom of the the totem pole, you know, I knew like the pecking order and I respected it being coming from the baby is kind of awesome because, you know, Um, also throughout the whole experience, I learned a lot, uh, when it comes to just like being quiet and observing others, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was always quiet. I'm sure like if my family listens to this, they'll probably hear things for the first time that they've never even heard, you know, because I've always been really quiet about how I felt about things about, about a lot. I was just quiet and I observed and I learned that and I would learn to really read people and get a feel for people. And, yeah. And use that to my advantage too, which is you know great. And like Jordan Peterson's talked about that too. Like people who have gone through traumatic experiences and stuff have learned a lot on, they get ultra sensitive to things. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a detriment. Like I, I'm always afraid that somebody's going to be mad at me kind of. Uh, Cause I, I lived in a hostile environment growing up. We never knew when a fight was going to break out or something, you know, and they got bad, they were bad fights, but so I'm always kind of, you probably really clung on to them, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I was also always kind of cautious, you know, like I was always on high alert, like, is something yeah. bad about to happen or is, are things going to pop off? Cause my parents would drink a lot and they would fight a lot and it was like scary for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but it taught me to just be ultra sensitive and aware and alert at all times. Like things don't get past me. You know, if, if the mood changes in a room, I catch it right away. If somebody's yeah. feeling a certain kind of way, I catch it. Um, it's not the best in my like relationship. Like Victoria is probably always annoyed because she can't have like one bad thought without me being like, are you okay? Are we okay? You know, like I'm always really alert and afraid of that, uh, which I try to be cognizant of and try to remember that not everything is about me and she can go through her own shit in life and it doesn't have to be about me, but, uh, yeah, just, isn't that kind of a weird thing that you don't really you do as you get older and become more emotionally intelligent that that is kind of like a selfish thing about yourself because i'm very much like you and that i like it really makes me nervous to think other people are upset or maybe they're not happy with me or it's same thing with my wife abigail if she's ever having a bad day you kind of like oh is everything all right and like having to remember like hey like don't make it about you you don't it doesn't seem like you are but you might yeah be. yeah exactly i think it's a uh... Yeah, it's something I'm trying to work on too, because I always want to fix everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had to do this stupid uh, mindfulness training through a hospital that I worked with the other day. And I, I thought I was going to be done, but I actually learned some things. Um, and one of them we were talking about, which I already kind of knew, but, you know, if somebody's like in a bad mood and you're going and trying to fix it and you're trying to tell them like, you know, you're trying to tell them all the good they have in their life, whatever, don't be sad because X, Y, and Z, you know, that doesn't help. Yeah. Um, 
and I, I saw like a, an Instagram post one day where it's talking about couples. And I think they said they got to a point in their relationship where they said, like, if the spouse is upset, they say, do you want me to help you solve this? Or do you just want me to like be here? And a lot of times people just want you to be there. You know, mm-hmm. I always want to solve shit. I see, you know, Victoria upset. And I, in my mind, I have a very rational mind. I'm like, you don't need to be upset for about that because X, Y, Z, you know, and we can solve this for these reasons, but that doesn't help her in any way because she's not at, she's not ready for that. And so I should probably just be quiet and accepting and, you know, like, should I solve this or should I just hug you? Probably just hug you, you know? Um, yeah. Trying to, trying to learn that in my life, which is hard. Cause like I said, you know, I'm very, very kind of aware of that kind of stuff and want to be the one to fix it. Cause I don't want things to escalate or get worse than they need to. Absolutely. No. And like I said, man, you and I are very similar in that aspect. And I'm sure my wife will watch this and know that a lot of times it's like, like you were saying, what can I do right now to fix this? Or maybe even an argument between the two of us, like, what can I do to amend this type of thing? Especially because, you know, we're, we're wrong. Most of the time we're guys. So it's (laughs) always me having to fix what happened. Um, but you know, having the emotional, emotional intelligence to step back and be like, all right, maybe I just need to let you have your time to sulk or whatever it is. You know, this isn't about me. Nothing I say is going to be able to fix that. So very true. So, uh, I guess you and your siblings still close today then, or, you know, kind of having that crazy upbringing together. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. I think we've got like, you know, we've got one of those bonds where we went through shit together and we'll always know that we're not super close anymore it's kind of kind of sad I don't know I have a weird kind of view on family and that like you know in my opinion I feel like we're kind of all related like every human on this earth and you know blood doesn't mean that much to me and not to say that my family doesn't mean a lot to me they do but we don't have a lot of the same interests a lot you know we don't and I and I find other people in my life that I do have those interests with and I feel like those are family and I'm gonna die hard when it comes to uh like loyalty when, when somebody, when I find somebody that I click with. Um, but yeah, my family and I long, long story short, like we're not super close anymore. You know, I haven't seen them in a lot of years and that's my doing kind of, but also theirs, you know, they don't come visit me really a lot either. I've been super busy for the past you know decade of my life. I could give it more effort, but I don't know. I don't know. That's something I'm trying to work out in my mind too recently. Um, I think I probably have some more like deep seated shit than I think that I do when it comes to it. I've never really been one to buy into all that. Um, another Victoria reference here is, uh, we went to Tulum recently and she made me do some breath work class, which Mm -hmm. I think was, is a bunch of bullshit for the most part. Um, like, you know, that what they do magic, exactly. (laughs) What they did was literally make us hyperventilate to the point where you're like, you know, you're over oxygenated and you almost start hallucinating. Mm-hmm. but I'm definitely, you know, sympathetic to the idea that sometimes in those States you experience things that you otherwise wouldn't in a normal state. I think that's where things like hallucinogenics come in and everything. And, and I, not that I do those or recommend anyone does, but I do feel like the science is emerging and more and more good is coming from stuff like that. So, you know, Victoria likes stuff like that. So I tried to, again, get out of my own stubborn bullshit and be like, yeah, I'll do this with you. Um, but you know, we, we did that class and it was, it's weird because you're sitting there like hyperventilating for a while. And then like my body started going numb. My lips are like tingling because you know, my mouth, my, my body's literally trying to stop me from breathing because I'm over breathing. Mm -hmm. So it's like trying to shut. Have you ever done anything like that? I haven't. I haven't. It's weird. 
but familiar with i've seen stuff about it and how it works it's it's pretty wild right that you can even just physically self-induce a state like that it's crazy. my hands started clenching up i was like cramps i was like this is so crazy but then like you kind of get to this stage of like i guess what they would call like enlightenment and maybe so like i said like you know maybe it's bringing you to a point that uh, you're tapping into your your self-conscious your subconscious rather that you wouldn't otherwise be able to but it was super weird because we're in Tulum, Mexico, where those of you who've been there, like, you know, everywhere it's being built everywhere. And you just see these natives, the the Mexican people there, like working their ass off, breaking their back. And I remember like my first vision was of them, like how hard they're working. And then I snapped back to like when I was a kid, my, my parents made us work really hard, like in the garden. I worked every morning, hard work in the garden, shoveling shit, stacking wood. Like it, I, it sucked, but it taught me a lot. I learned hard work. Uh, and I thought about that. I thought about my parents, how they made me work. And then I just like started thinking about how I haven't been close to my parents for years. I don't see them. I don't see my, my dad. And he did so much for me. Like, you know, he fought really hard for me um, to get me and all the shit he went through during that. Cause I'm that age now, you know, and I know that like where I am at my life now, if I had to deal with like having a son who was like living with his mom is homeless and he didn't have a ton of money, but he's paying all of his money for law fees. And, and then all the shit he went through with my stepmom, and it just like kind of fucked me up where I'm like, damn, like he did a lot for me and I'm here because of that. And I don't have this relationship with them. And I'm also scared for about his health. You know, he's not health conscious like I am. Um, and my fears, you know, I see all these sick people day in and day out now being a doctor. And I fear like, what if this is my, my parents in the next few years, it's possible, you know, like the fact that stati- just statistically, like they're going to have a, a bad disease and a bad outcome probably due to their lifestyle or even not, you know, we have, there's so many people, you know, who, who have terrible outcomes who are healthy too. So I'm just like, why haven't I developed a relationship with them in my you know adult age? I don't know something that really kind of messed me up. I was sitting in there crying in the, in the, uh, event, like everybody is in there bawling their eyes out. And like I said, I always thought that it was bullshit, but I mean, there's might be something to it for sure. Anyway, well, another just, little side tangent. Yeah. But I mean, just evoking, and I definitely want to study on the being close with family topic. Cause it's something I think you and I probably have similar views on just based upon what you said, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think in same situations as someone who's used ayahuasca and things like that, Um, I think that it's probably always just maybe bringing up thoughts and emotions that it's so easy for us just to put in the background going about our day to day lives. Um, And, you know, maybe that's really the root cause of any of the benefit that you get from it is just having the conscious thought of, yeah, never thought about that, how I feel about my relationship with my dad, just getting the wheels turned on you working through that or, you know, again, maybe something that was never even on your conscious mind before until that moment in time. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a cool experience. I definitely had like, I was happy to because I had a lot of self love in it, which, you know, it wasn't conceited, but I was like, I was so fucking proud of myself. You know, yeah. I was thinking about those workers and their hard work. And I was proud of them for like, just busting their ass, you know, being like doing something because there's so many people these days that just don't do shit, in my opinion. And yeah. it kind of yeah. upsets me. But like, you know, we were, we were right there until then we would see them, like we would get up early to go walk, to get coffee. And we would see the workers too. Like this is 6am. They're getting all their stuff together and they're all gathering to get on this like janky ass bus to go work. And I don't know, I was just, it was a moving experience to think of them and their hard work and my hard work. I was proud of myself for the work that I do in life. And 
um yeah so i was happy with with what came out of that for sure victoria will be happy to hear this i don't know if i've expressed that i think i i was just kind of quiet to myself afterwards but i definitely liked it i don't think i would why we really do it again i don't feel like i personally need it i feel very fulfilled and happy but maybe i'm fooling myself i don't know yeah yeah no i and i love that you kind of reference just the uh, seeing somebody else work hard like that too um especially in a country that's not american is right like it probably is just a little bit of a smack of reality sometime of like man our lives are for most of us here can be extremely pampered compared to where else in the world um but i also try and like think about it too like Americans, as pampered as we are, like struggle mentally probably more than I think a lot of the world does, um, maybe because things are too pampered. And those people that, uh, you know, maybe there's like, we have this weird bit of empathy that we see working that hard. But I always think about too, like, they might be happier than most people in my neighborhood are because exactly. they're doing something fulfilling. Uh, they're working hard, they're providing for their family. They don't have time to sit around and like worry about the BS that we do now. Um, that in reality, most of it doesn't actually matter besides what am I doing to provide for my family looking right. after that. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, again, I don't want to sound like I was harping on my parents for the upbringing they gave me. I am so grateful for what my parents gave me and what we would probably put under the, the purview of like bad parenting these days, I think was actually much more superior. You know, they were hard on us. They, they didn't make us a center of attention really, at least in my eyes, it didn't. And again, thinking about if I were in their shoes, I'm sure they were working way fucking harder for us and on the back end of things than we ever knew. Um, but still it wasn't, you know, these days kids are just the, you know, as soon as you're born, you're already winning awards for your, from your parents, you know, <laughs> my parents weren't that way, you know, they really weren't, they were basically yeah. just like, you know, I don't, I don't give a shit that you don't want to work, like get out there and work. I want my garden weeded. I want yep. my, my, you know, I made you so that, and now you can go yep. do that. And I'm like, fuck, like yep. I hated my existence when I was a kid, it was rough, but the world is that way. And I don't think that kids these days understand that, that, you know, like the world is not going to be like, you know, you're number one for doing nothing. And then, mm. you know, it's never going to happen. Yeah. Um, my parents made me work hard and I'm super grateful for it. They never made me really feel that special and I'm super grateful for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and people might think now like, oh, well, you don't have a good relationship with your family now, but I do. It's kind of just been, my life has brought me all around and we have different interests and again, kind of goes back to that. I'm very to myself and quiet and I don't connect a lot with a lot of people when I do, I connect hard, but I don't know. Anyways, I'm, I'm very grateful for what they did for me. Yeah. No. And I mean, I think that's a good point too, to stay on the family topic of just because you're not physically close or talk every day, doesn't mean that you can't take, I mean, just, you know, worldly knowledge or life knowledge that you'll continue on, you know, for years and years, just like other friendships and relationships you do have that have a finite amount of time. Um, like you were saying, like, I kind of view family as the same way that just because we are blood doesn't mean one, we have to always be close or two, that we have to love each other that much. But yeah. I can still look back and take things away from you or cherish different parts about our relationship. So I think it's great that you have that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, my child was for the most part, then like, you know, 90s and 2000s, it was very normal for the most part. Um, another weird thing. <laughs> I feel like I'm making it sound like my childhood was so fucked up and strange. It really wasn't. Um, it was definitely strange, definitely strange for sure. We went through weird stuff, but um, my parents got really into 
like an interesting sect of Christianity, um, like kind of when they got together, my dad was raised his way was a seventh day Adventist. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with them. Are you familiar with the, the seventh day Adventist? That is the uh, guy who was in Waco, right? Is that his? Oh, subset? I think he was a subset of them. Yeah. I think he was. He a, was yes. Yes. I think it yeah. was like he branched off or the seventh or the yep. branch Davidians and made his own subsect of that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So there's always those where that's how like those people down in Mexico with the Mormon church are where they're like, what it is, is they, they freaking pro- pretty much try to like stay as true to the actual thing as you can. Mm-hmm. And people are like, you're crazy but I'm like actually that's like where you come from you know it's yeah, kind of funny yeah. but um yeah so it was way different for us um we went to church on saturdays and we kept the sabbath just like you know jewish people would mm-hmm. but that meant from friday night when the sun goes down to the sun goes down on saturday like we weren't allowed to do quote unquote worldly stuff so that meant no tv that meant no sports cuz you know especially for my brother at that age he was getting into high school so Friday night football and everything, you know, that couldn't happen really for us. Um, it was just weird. You know, we, we would have to like, when the sun went down, you know, start doing Bible study or watching fucking like, you know, sermons and shit. And I hated that stuff so much. Like all, all of us did. My brother really rebelled at that time really hard. Cause like I said, there, his relationship with, uh, you know, my dad was already Rocky and then he was just like, fuck that. Like, I'm not doing any of this. You know, I don't believe in this. No, yeah. he rebelled hard. I couldn't, and I was the youngest. So I definitely got the brunt of it. I felt like I tried really, really, really hard to, to understand it and to like it and to be a part of it. And I just never really fit in. I literally got expelled from the, the Christian school, <laughs> like expelled. So I called the teacher a fat, lazy eyed bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and so much grade, for being a quiet kid you had some fire in you in fourth grade yeah that was uh i was just so mad man it was just him and i it was a it was a fourth grade was myself and another student that's it just two of us and oh, wow. that was yeah. but we were in a class with like i think first second and third graders too gotcha. and so there was multiple of them and the teacher was supposed to teach all of us, but she would only basically like spend a lot more time with them. There was only two of us. So we weren't a priority. And so she would give us assignments and stuff, like give us math and basically tell us like, you know, go do the math. I'm in fourth grade. I'm not going to just do it. Like we would fuck around all day and play. And so like, I would have all these late assignments, like literally like 30 or 40, like late assignments or just assignments that I didn't do. And they would like send them home to my parents, like saying, you know, how delinquent I was, And then I was always in trouble. I was always grounded at home for that. And then at school, I was always in trouble. I couldn't go out and play and stuff because I remember they'd write it out on the whiteboard, all the missing assignments. And mine would be like a paragraph of assignments that I was missing. And so I was just getting so fucking frustrated about it all. Like I was grounded at home. I'm grounded at school. I can't play. I can't do anything. And I didn't actually say it to her face, but I passed a note to somebody that she was a fat, lazy eyed bitch. (laughs) And it got, it got like swooped up in transmission and yeah, I got expelled for sure. Um, Shout out to my, my parents though, because when they did some investigating, because they were like, what's going on here? And they realized, you know, like, oh, he's getting fucked around. Like he's not really even getting taught here. And so they kind of defended me and that put some strain on them in the church because that was the church school. Um, But Another aside, that was kind of fun. I forgot about that kind of until that was when I was in fourth grade. That was fun. Uh, after that, I went to public school and things were pretty normal with my friends and everything there. But living that way was weird. It was different. Um, yeah, different than a lot of kids experience like sports and stuff didn't come up when I when I got into high school, they were kind of fading away from that. And they did allow me to play uh, like football a year. But 
I started getting into skateboarding and everything, which is definitely like, you know, anti-jock. And so mm-hmm. after, you know, I think that was my freshman year, I played football and then I was really, really into skateboarding. And I was like, you know, fuck jocks, fuck sports, you know, punk rock and skateboarding. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, so that was, I wish I would have, if, if I had children now, I would put them in sports and I would, I would definitely make them do sports and learn that. I would be hard on them like my parents were to me too. I, I don't think I would baby them. I'd make them do hard work, but I'd also let them do sport like through, you know, and get some competitive fun out. Um, and the yeah. camaraderie and just the hard work that, like you said, comes along with the agreed exactly. and maybe trying and failing something too, that, Hey, you might stink at this sport. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wasn't great at everything either. I think, um, uh, I think the thing that scares me about kids though, too, is like, even if I did everything perfectly right, like they could still come home one day at like, you know, 14 pregnant with like purple hair and they were doing their own thing. You know, that scares me too. Cause I like to be in control of shit. And I would be like, I don't want you to be like this. You know, like I'm sure yeah. my parents weren't stoked when I was in high school yeah. and I freaking dyed my hair black and, you know, was wearing skinny jeans, which wasn't popular at that time. And, you know, I was idolizing rock stars who were, you know, heroin junkies and stuff, and they were freaked out and they weren't happy about it, especially being yeah. there, you know, very Christian, like they were and everything, you know, and I don't know. Yeah. So no matter what you do, I feel like you always run the risk that your child will become something that you maybe aren't super happy with. And you need to be able to accept that. And I'm sure a lot of people do. And that's awesome. I would have a hard time with that personally. That's one of my biggest fears. Yeah. Um, it's funny you say that. Um, I actually, Abigail and I, my wife were hanging out last night and I asked her that question. I said, what is like your biggest fear with us? Like having kids one day, if there is one, uh, and that was her exact answer, which side tangent, but I think for a marriage and just relationships in general, always good to like, just have conversations like that, yeah. just like out of the blue, like, let's get into some deep stuff here. Cause sometimes even as the person you're closest to, you don't really talk about those things and until it's happening and you have a kid with purple hair and it's like, Oh, wait a second. We haven't, you know, talked about this at all. Um, but that her answer was that, yeah, you know, what if we do everything right? And one day our child just turns out to be a menace or goes down a really bad path and, it is scary because, you yeah. know, I'm sure plenty of people in your life, I do with mine as well, that were phenomenal parents and two kids made it out, did great. And then there was the black sheep of the family kind of who, you know, still to this day, they're not close with or just there's always been kind of an estranged relationship there. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's also like the point of you can only do so much as a parent. And at the end of the day, just like the blood conversation, like, and especially as a parent, I can give you everything. Um, like you were talking about earlier, all the core values. This is how you work hard. I'm not here to baby you. Um, I grew up in a situation like that. That was like, Hey, we have everything for you that you need, but at the end of the day, you're going to have to go out and make your life your own. Um, and everything here is just pretty much a springboard for you to do that. And you should be very blessed or thankful and know that you're blessed to have that. Um, so I think that's almost all you can do as a parent. And it's a chance that that's going to happen, but also I guess something that I try and not let scare me because of course it's a possibility, but at the end of the day, I can't know until that happens. And I would hate for that to keep me from, you know, having then the triumphs of a child that goes on to then do, you know, make you very proud at the same time. So for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to say, like you say, you can do everything right. And they, they may come out 
a way you don't want. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's hard. Um, I will, I will say like, you know, I, again, I, I want to say I had a great childhood and I loved it. And, but the way, how, whatever my parents did, I think they've made three very awesome, uh, children. Um, they've got myself, you know, I am proud of where I am. I'm sure that they are too. And I'd say most would kind of consider me to be well-respected in the community and everything and, and quote unquote successful. Um, my brother now, also, I think, um, from what I can see, we, we're not super close, but I, I'm super proud of what he's doing. He, uh, he never did well in school or anything. He can I think he even dropped out of high school and eventually went to either get his GED or went to like a correctional high school or something. Essentially, he was never an academic. And then I think he kind of floundered and fucked around for a while, but now he runs a, a highly successful auto body shop. Cause he he's always an artist and had a, a knack for, cars he always loved cars and he just worked as an apprentice from the ground up where he was you know he learned how to paint cars and now he owns a big shop himself and he's back in my hometown uh he's probably the biggest auto body shop there that's awesome so i'm sure they're super proud of him and then my sister went the other way and is very traditional like mom and that's what our uh mom my stepmom or our mom was a, a stay-at-home mom and i'm so happy we had her to do that I know these days there's a lot of you know discussion around that and feminism and everything, but there's something special about a, a mom who can just be a, a mom. You know, it's really cool. And uh, my my sister has four children. Her she comes from a or her husband comes from a family where they have a lot of kids, and he he's very very family oriented. I think he told her like when they met, like I want like six kids or something. <laughs> I think she's done now at four, but they're they're they compromised very, at four. Yeah. They're very, very family oriented. Um, he lives right next door to his brother who also has a ton of kids. So they live in like a cul-de-sac and it's just all of their kids everywhere. It's like, it's perfect. You know, a lot of people would love that. And I'm super proud of her for, she has like four amazing, beautiful, awesome, like all-star athlete children. So I'm sure, you know, whatever, whatever happened with my upbringing now was, was good. It all turned out well, you know, well, and maybe that goes to show, like you were saying earlier, like you did good parenting doesn't come through just kissing the ground, your kids walk on or making them feel just, you know, like they're the center of attention. Cause like you, I, again, even though I didn't go through some of the struggles as far as, you know, broken family divorces, things like that. Um, and you know, we grew up in a sense where we didn't want for anything. Uh, we were never made out to be like, you're anything special. And I feel like that that's probably like one of the number one things maybe people mess up with nowadays is making their kids feel like that from day one, because as we all know, once you get out into the world, you're not really anything special. And that's a really hard for reality for people to come to grips with if they were never taught that at an early age. So I feel like successful parenting you can have a million different like personal screw ups probably along the way, which I'm sure all parents do. But as long as you give that like foundation and support and teach them good core values, then at the end of the day, it's on you as a person to go out and, uh, you know, or at least act upon that and make your own in the world. Yeah. hundred percent. Which I mean, my parents, three of you guys obviously did. Yeah. Like my parents always loved us. You know, they, they kept good, really good food on the table. My mom always cooked yeah. a meal, delicious meal. And we ate it as a family. They clothed us. But the funny thing is too, I think of like, you know, when we wanted school clothes, it wasn't like, all right, we're going to go school clothes shopping. It was let's work for the summer and earn the school clothes. And I, when I realized that I was super happy about what my parents did for me was when I was uh, in college, which I went to later than most people. I, I started a few years after most people would. So I was older at that time. 
and I was paying for it myself now because they didn't have the means to help me with any of my schooling. Um, but on, uh, like at my school, um, science classes were usually like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, early morning. And it was, uh, we had a, a science hall called, uh, Darwin hall. Um, and Darwin on Friday mornings would be quiet. Like no one would be in there because everybody went partying on Thursday. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the big, what would be a big class on, on Monday and Wednesday on Friday morning, there was hardly anyone in there, but I was always in there and I, I killed it in undergrad. Like I was a freaking animal. I was a, a beast. Like I had, I was a wolf. I didn't even want to study with anybody. I wanted, if I didn't get an A, I felt like I got an F, even if it was an A minus. Mm -hmm. um, but I would look around and see all the empty chairs. And I would just be like, you know, my parents like taught me that if I want to, if I want to get something, I work for it. And that means not fucking around on Thursday night. And I'm like, I also have to pay for this. My parents aren't paying for this. And that made me so happy. I'm so glad that they didn't, even if they could have, I would hope that they wouldn't have, you know, mm -hmm. they couldn't, they just didn't have the means to. Um, but I couldn't be more grateful for that, that they didn't give it to me. That's something I struggle with too, because I have, you know, I'm sure for the rest of my life, I'll probably have a, a good amount of money. And if I had kids, like would I fuck them up because I want to give them everything, yeah. Yeah. uh, you know, I didn't have my, my own car until I was 18 and I did, my grandma gave me her Nissan Sentra, which was like an 88. It was as old as me. I mean, it was like a little red fucking square box thing. It was such a piece of shit. It was so <laughs> dorky. I mean, it like, it blew up, but like the reason is because I wasn't gonna, like my grandma actually babied me a little bit and giving me that my parents weren't for it. They were never going to yeah. give me a car. It was like, yeah they may have like matched me. Maybe I didn't even bring that up. Cause I wasn't really, I didn't care about a car and a skateboard, but I don't think they would have. I mean, my brother bought his car, you know, he, he worked on it. He built things. They didn't buy us stuff. I didn't have a cell phone until I was like 19 too, because that was the first time I could buy one myself because mm -hmm. I had a job. And I am so grateful that they didn't just hand me shit. Cause it made yeah. me really made me learn. They didn't even, even when I moved, when I was like seven or eight, I learned how to do my laundry for the first time. Cause my, my stepmom was like, I don't do the kids laundry. Like you want your clothes clean. This is how you do it. She showed me one time you separate things into whites, lights, and darks. Here's how you do it. And taught me how to fold. And we went from there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. No, I mean, and very much just knowing you, how I do now, like, it's very evident that growing up that way made you who you are to this point and the crazy work ethic you have and not expecting anything from anyone. So I think it's awesome you have the perspective to be appreciative of that, even if, like you were saying earlier, to maybe as you're explaining it, some people might think of like, oh, that sounds so hard. But like in reality, life's hard. And that was a good prep, you know, from one to 18 years old of like, this is what it's going to be like when you get out of the house. So it's better you learn now than really getting out there and having to find, you know, it being a whole new reality for you. For sure. So, okay, uh, so yeah, where are we at? Where are we going now? So we got the through high reads kind of into high school now for you. Um, I guess, you know, got into skateboarding more of like punk rock kid. Um, I know you've talked about it a little bit before then, you know, I guess let's talk about college. What got you into being a physician, that chunk of your life? Yeah. So, um, Oh, it's a weird, weird thing. I never expected I would come out like this. Uh, like you said, I was really big into skating. That's all I cared about. I, I honestly, I always, I thought I wanted to just be in skating. That was, I was very, you know, narrow, narrow sighted when it came to that. All I saw was skating. I thought that would be my future, but I really wasn't that good at it. Um, 
And of course I was good enough to hang out with the local kids and everything, but I wasn't good to where I was ever going to be a professional. And so I didn't know what I was going to do because that's all I wanted to do was be a pro. I knew I was realistic enough to know that when it happened. So I thought like maybe I could be a graphic designer um, and like design things in the magazines for skateboards and skateboarding ads and stuff. And that sounded kind of cool to me. I kind of liked computers, didn't, not a ton, but I kind of have an artistic eye myself. Um, so I thought that's maybe what I would do. And I had a good friend in the industry, Corey Duffel, hopefully we'll get him on soon, but I felt like, oh, he might be my in, like maybe he would like, you know, hook me up with foundation skateboards or something. I could design boards. And so I thought I would do that. And I went into college. Um, cause also my parents had told me like, again, they're, this is pretty nice and very lenient. In my opinion, what they told me was you can continue to live here after you're 18. If you go to school and you have a job, which that's pretty lenient. I think I would tell my kid to fucking leave. (laughs) I would be, I would be very ready. Like I said, you know, they never really got their time alone. Like, you know, Victoria and I have now had years alone and they never got that. So they allowed me, I think about that too. I'm like, man, I couldn't imagine an adult. I just want my space. You know, I don't want an 18 year old kid. So yeah, huge, hugely grateful that they even allowed me to stay there. They said, if you go to college and you have a job, you continue to live here rent free, whatever. And so I signed up to college, but and I and it was like under the the graphic design little thing. It was a community college, and I failed every single course because I just didn't go. Um, and I kind of like stupidly I thought, well, I'm just not going to show up, and they'll just like you know remove me from the class. That doesn't happen. If there's any you know like <laughs> high schoolers listening now going into college, if you're ever about to go into college, know that they do not care who you are. They don't know who you are. But if you're signed up, they're going to grade you as a zero if you don't show up mm-hmm. and you get an F. And so my first like two semesters were like nonstop Fs. I would basically sign up and show my parents like, look, I signed up, I'm going like, yeah. and so I could live there. And then I would go work my shitty little minimum wage job and then just fuck around and skateboard and stuff when they weren't, you know, when they thought I was in school. But yeah, I dug myself into a massive hole as far as that goes. Um, and then I don't know, I think I, oh, I do know actually. So this is kind of corny, but, uh, when the movie 300 came out, um, you remember that movie 300? Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. Gerard Butler looked yeah. wild then. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I remember that it was a, it was a kind of a hard time in my life. It was kind of weird. I was, I don't know, maybe 19 or 20, but I was, you know, lying to my parents about going to school. I knew that I was failing everything. I didn't really have a good job. I fucked up my ankle pretty bad skateboarding. I knew I was never going to make anything of that my friends were all getting really heavy into drugs and I don't know what stopped me because there was nobody telling me not to, but I just never really wanted to do that. Um, even on other podcasts I've talked about when I partied and stuff, but I never did hard drugs. I drank a lot and I smoked some weed, but other than that, I drew the line. I don't know why I'm happy. I'm happy, but my friends started getting into drugs. I wasn't, it's kind of having a, just a crisis. Um, I looked like a piece of shit. I had you know long black hair and wore leather jackets. I was dirty and grimy. Um, and there was a few things that happened. One, my friend and I went to the mall and my dumb ass thought like, watch this. And I told him like, I'm going to steal this sweater and I'm just going to wear it out. I thought that was funny. And I got caught. And mm-hmm. like, that was, wasn't that big of an ordeal, but it was like my first run in with the law because I had to go through this whole little like deferral program. Yeah. Uh, it was going to be a misdemeanor. And they said, like, since you've never done anything, you know, we can do this thing on the side where 
you prove to us that you're a, a good citizen or whatever, we'll, we'll get rid of it. That, but, uh, community service of some act almost. Exactly. I had to do a lot of community yeah. service. I had yeah. to do all kinds of, I had to write essays and do stupid shit, but that happened. Um, I also had an extreme eating disorder at the time and I just felt awful. I looked terrible. I looked like I was on drugs, even though I wasn't, I was hanging out with druggies. I got in trouble and I was like, you know, when I go to this, like, they're just going to look at me like I'm just a piece of shit. And I am. And then I went to the movies to see the 300 with my friend. And I didn't, and I don't know, I think like a week leading up, because going to the movies used to be a big thing. We kind of plan it for like a week. Like, you want to go to the movies on Friday? I don't feel like that really happens anymore. But I miss those um, days. Me too. Yeah. But I remember looking up like, what is 300? And then I started reading about the Spartans. Because again, I look up everything. I got really into the Spartans and their culture. And I was like, this is fucking awesome. These guys are badass. And I went to the movie and I was so fired up. And I was like, like Leonidas, fuck, like fighting for his loved ones, fighting for his community, uh, fighting for his wife, you know, like at the end he dies and he fucking getting choked up right now. Like when he, he says like, my love, you know, and like that's the last thought. Like we were there mind. fighting the Persians ourselves, right? Exactly. Yeah. Dude, I literally feel the tears in my eyes right now. It's fucking badass. Uh, but I was like, holy shit. Like that's a man. Like what I'm doing, that's, that's nothing. Like, you know, I am a drain on society. Um, so literally, and like literally, because I'm extremely extreme, like, you know, going back to my mom, teaching me to be stubborn. I'm highly stubborn. Next day I cut off my hair. I went and bought a full new wardrobe. I quit wearing skinny shit. I got a gym membership and I started obsessing about fitness because I was like, those guys are fucking jacked. And I think that's where this is all going to start is I'm going to get big. And I was right because that taught me so much shit. But it was literally the next day. And I also got this tattoo on my wrist, which says with it or on it, uh, it says Etani Epitan. And uh, in that movie, I don't, if you're a nerd like me, you'll remember. But when Leonidas is leaving, when he's saying goodbye to his wife, his wife mm -hmm. stops him and says, she goes, Spartan. She he turns around and she's like, come back with it or on it. And she's talking about a shield. So she was yep. saying, yeah, you know, go out and win and if, or, or die, like win or die trying, like you better come back holding your shield victorious or be, they used to pull the dead back on their shields. Yep. So she was saying like, don't come back unless you won, you know? Um, and if you do like come back dead and that just meant a fucking lot to me. It was like, there is it's multifactorial when it comes to that. Cause, uh, one was that, you know, do everything, give everything your all, win or die trying. The other was that their shield, their shield didn't protect them. It protected the person to their right or their left, I believe. I think they held it in their left arm. Mm -hmm. So it didn't protect them. That's what made their, their phalanx like unpenetrable because they each had a shield protecting the next person. So they made a wall. Um, so it was just like that shield meant do something for other people and like come back holding that shield, knowing that you protected others and you did stuff for other people or die trying to do that. So it meant a lot to me because I was all about myself at the time. And I was like, yeah, so again, again, super deep on this and this is my fucked up weird mind, but no, man, I was I like, I, I'm going to get this tattooed on my wrist to remind me all the time, like win or die trying, do things for others, be a, be a good person in society, et cetera. So I changed everything, started working out. And that's kind of when my passion for fitness and, and everything kind of emerged. And I fell in love with science and I changed my major over to like biology or something and just started, I built, I dug myself out of that hole. So I retook every class. I got an F in, got an A in every single one, transferred to a university, got, I think I had like a, a 3.98 or something insane, like almost got a 4.0. <laughs> you did crush it. I did. I was like killing it when I was in there, uh, you know, graduate school is a totally different story. I got crushed myself. That was tough, but <laughs> eventually. But most everyone does, right? It's exactly. Yeah. Part of it. 
Yeah. And then I, I knew I wanted to go into medicine. I've kind of told this story a lot of times and uh, I knew I wanted to either do like dermatology or orthopedics. And then I found uh, podiatry, which is a mixture of both. Yeah. It's a kind of a different road too, which is weird. Uh, you can either go MD, DO or DPM, which you know has an interest in the foot from day one. But weird thing is, is that we literally sit, we share classrooms with the DOs, even in MDs. I think at one college, it's M uh, DPM, MD together the whole time. So we're, we learn all of the same shit. We just get a different degree because we focus a lot on uh, lower extremity anatomy from day one. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I decided to pick that so I could do a, a mixture of both of those things. Um, that was an accelerated getting through college. But yeah, that was really the impetus was watching that movie and realizing what a true human being, what a true man in society was and, and knowing that I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, the now the uh, modern day version of a Spartan in your own right, right, right. I, right. I hope. I, mean, I would hey, hope. I mean, and I mean, just how cool to have. I mean, such a shift like that too in your mindset. I mean, almost really overnight. Um, once you made that shift, I know that was like kind of the abbreviated version. Was it just like was there any struggle ever falling back kind of off the wagon, or was it kind of like once you got in your stride, this is what I'm doing, and I've you know I'm sure it gave you a lot of pride to start bettering yourself like that. Yeah, there really wasn't much. Um, have you ever read the, I'm looking at it right now on my shelf, Atomic Habits? I have not. Uh, I'm familiar with the book. Yeah, though. great book. Um, James Clear wrote it. When I read it, it was funny because I've I've always been one to, I think most would probably agree I hit my goals. I achieve things. I'm one of those people who mm -hmm. does things. And so uh, it's funny because I don't need books like that, but I read them. And then aside, I listened to his uh, interview with Peter Atia and he said, most people who read his book are those who don't need it, which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, when I was reading it, I was like, this is 100% myself because, and one thing that I really clung on to in there that I think has made me very able to do things was he talked about um, when you want to do something like change your identity, like I said, I, I overnight changed my identity, literally even visually, you know, shaving the hair, putting on the tattoo, changing the clothes, getting the membership. And I now told myself that I was a person who was fit and muscular. I was successful. I was going to be, you know, respected in society. I was going to do for others. You know, I told myself I'm this person now. And that was, I, you would never want to, nobody wants to go against their identity, you know? Yeah. And so you do things to live up to that identity. Uh, I didn't know that was a tactic. That's something he talked about and I love it. And I try to tell people that, you know, change who you are. If you like you, you know, you have now gone like, you know, head first into this whole endurance thing. And I'm sure everything you do, like you talked about your morning routine the other time, you know, you wake up, you're doing mobility. Like you're living the life of somebody who is prominent and very good at this endurance type sport. You know, it's become your identity. Uh, yeah. You kind of, you know, I'm sure from you were like, I'm going to be this person. And you did so you did everything that, you know, kind of uh, embodied that. Yeah, and I think that's such a powerful nugget, just because I, to your point, I think a lot of people struggle with that when they're wanting to make the life shift, like, where do I even begin? And probably that first step is like just identifying yourself in that new light. Um, and it's hard, I'm sure, for a lot of people once you've you know battled years of not being very happy with your decisions and you view yourself in that light. And it's not necessarily developing an arrogance, right? It's more just 
taking pride in who you are and that, hey, I'm capable of this, just like all these other people around me that I've seen go on and make something great of themselves. I just have to view myself in the same mindset. They're no different than I am. And, you know, I just have to learn from those people that I see do those, you know, whatever little bits of nugget and wisdom I can take from them and apply it to myself. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any like arrogance. And it's literally just telling yourself, like, you know, if you want to go to the gym, you start telling, you don't say I want to go to the gym, you start telling yourself, I'm somebody who goes to the gym, you know, mm-hmm. and then you don't want to go back on that because you're that person. So yeah. you see that person on Instagram, right, who makes those reels of them waking up early and getting their protein shake and they're walking around with their gallon jug and, you know, they embody that fitness person. You just tell yourself you're that person too. And you become that person, which I did, you know, I literally did everything I could to become that person. I started buying supplements and started reading about bodybuilding and, and everything. I became that person. That's how I was with skateboarding. I've always been super extreme. I've always given everything 110%. I've always loved the, the saying, like anything worth doing is worth overdoing. I've always been that way. I'm not going to do anything half-ass. doesn't even make sense to me to kind of half-ass something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but if you make that become your identity, that's probably the strongest. Our identities are probably the strongest thing that we have, and none of us want to disrupt our identity. And so, Absolutely. yeah, just just changing your mindset about the person that you are. I try to tell people that, like, you know, people do get in the the rut of like, I'm somebody who comes home from work and I'm fat and I'm lazy, and people tell themselves that, you know, I'm yeah. not you. I'll never be you. I'll never have that six pack. What if you switch that mindset and just tell yourself you fucking are? You're that fit dude. And then you just keep living up to that every single day. And eventually you are, I know it's kind of like lying to yourself, but you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's because I think it adds a level of humility to it also, because I try and explain to people that are trying to get along their fitness journey, you know, you know, just bettering themselves through getting healthier, like me or anyone else you may look to for motivation or yourself, Adam, like we're nothing special in the sense that like I wasn't given really any sure there's genetic factors and things like that, that may, may you maybe make it easier to look a certain way, but we all apply the same tactics every single day. We all follow similar routines. Like there's nothing special going on here. So certainly you or the viewer listening at home, like you're capable of making that shift. You know, it will not be super easy. I promise there are days that will be pretty difficult and, you know, you'll find yourself wanting to fall back to your old ways, I'm sure, but it's just consistent habits over the long term. whether it's building a business, getting yourself in shape. It's pretty much the same formula to, in any long-term goal that you want to achieve. Definitely. Yeah. Nice. And cool that you're kind of, I guess, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just the thing that sparked your transition is fitness. Because I think for a lot of highly successful people, um, it seems like something about, you know, keeping yourself in shape or just doing really hard physical activity somehow is like an impetus for that. Um, And maybe there's just something through putting yourself through physical pain and, uh, you know, really having to work out on days you don't want to like just slowly builds that, uh, I guess, mindset up of like, yeah, mental toughness that you then it's applicable to really anything you do in your life going forward. 100%. Yeah, I was thinking this yesterday, too, because I don't do many hard workouts anymore. I've been through that stage of my life. And now, now my hard work is translated towards business uh, through what I do with Atlas, what I do with Merrick, hospital. So but yesterday, I was doing hard workout, Tori and I were and I did two sets, like one set of squats, where I really had to get in my head. And 
And I always do a lot of self-talk while I'm in the, like, you know, while I'm in the squad, I'm talking to myself and telling myself that I'm not going to give up and thinking about it even more. So like lunges, I was doing lunges and lunges kicked my ass, like literally. And I was thinking, you know, like, fuck, I haven't gotten deep into these in a while. I used to do this shit a lot, but like, you know, I'm, I'm getting to that point where you're like halfway through your set and there's still a lot of turf there. You still have to get through and you're telling yourself that you want to quit and you're like, it would be really easy to quit. But then you tell yourself too, like, fuck this. I'm going to keep going just one foot up for the other. And I was thinking like all the times that I did this leading up to this, the years of pushing through and doing those few extra reps, like that's what really allows me now to like, you know, you've seen my schedule. It's insane. I, well, I can do that every single day. And I kind of fall back on that. Like if I'm halfway through the day and it's like one, I'm like, holy shit. You know, I still have a full day. I'm going till 7 PM tonight. I just tell myself like, you know, you just keep going just one patient after the other, or like one, whatever it is, you know, you just keep, you keep going. And it taught me that for sure. That mental toughness. I'm so grateful for grateful for my parents, grateful for my brother for kicking my ass for that. I'm grateful for myself kicking my ass in the gym and everything that the iron taught me. Cause the same way as like the irons you're, I love that quote. What's it? Henry Rollins. I think where he mm-hmm. talks about like, I forget what he says, but like 200 pounds is always 200 pounds. Like yep. it fucking kicks your ass and you're either yep. strong enough to lift or you're not the yep. weight's never going to adjust itself for you mid rep, you know? you, you either get buried or you fucking push that shit. And, you know, it was a great kind of analogy for life. And you learn that in there and anybody who I feel bad for anybody who hasn't been able to push themselves to that point, you know, uh, whether it be a heavy lift or a CrossFit workout where your lungs, you're literally breathing fire and you don't want to go on, but you keep pushing or you're running the same type, you know, I, I think everybody should try to do something like that at least once or, you know, give it a, some bit of time in your life. Cause you'll learn a lot about yourself and you'll learn a lot about life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and to the point of, you know, 200 pounds, always being heavy or always being 200 pounds. It, I like the analogy of like, sure. You may get strong enough that 200 pounds is easier for you, but like life always continues to get a little, little harder. There's a new challenge or there's heavier weights coming your way. So you're always going to have that resistance, but continually building yourself up and doing the things to withstand that, um, is really one of the only things that can prepare you for it. Right. Well, I love like, uh, you know, Josh Bridges whole thing is, uh, pay the man. Are you familiar with Mm -hmm. Josh Bridges? Yeah. So it's the same thing. He's saying like rents do like, it doesn't matter that he made it to the CrossFit games before, like yep. he's not just going to get an invite back. You need to yep. keep fucking paying the man. And so 200 pounds used to be light to me, but now that I don't train that way anymore, 200 pounds is not light just because I benched, you know, 360 once doesn't mean I still can. And it yep. doesn't mean shit to anybody what I could do. It means what you can yep. do now. And so if I want to be impressive, if I want to get my bench up, I'd have to do the work for the bench. Yep. Um, you know, I'm not just going to get a paycheck uh, every month if I don't put in the work. And I tell them, I know that I know the rent's always going to be due. And so it doesn't matter that I've worked hard in the past. I need to continue working hard because no one's going to be paying me unless I work hard. Yeah. And trying to adjust your mindset to, I think the biggest thing for me when I'm having those days or maybe to work out, not feeling up for it or works tough or whatever it is. It's just reminding myself that like, I'm even lucky to get to have the opportunity to do those things that I'm physically able to go push myself like that, that I've got a job that, you know, allows me to provide for me and my family. Like all those, I think just like, it allows you to lean into it a little bit more like, Hey, well, even though I'm not feeling this today, like it's 
just exciting to know that I, you know, have the ability to do these things that I'm not, you know, somewhere living under a bridge or, you know, again, I've been blessed enough to have the things in my life that allow me to get up and live my life like I want to every single day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like this Atlas hours turned into like Atlas two hours and it was probably all about me at this point. I don't think we even learned shit about you. No, <laughs> I'll make it quick so we can, maybe we'll do it like right at two hours since this one's, it's a double episode. Cool. Us. Yeah. I don't know when we started, but yeah, let's, uh, let's hear a little about you. Yeah, I don't even know what, I feel like I've, I've always kind of clung and met a lot of guys like yourself who are definitely different to me. And, you know, I know. I know you won't like the, like hearing that you have a genetic, you know, you're, you are genetically gifted, but I mean, you kind of are, you have a good upbringing you've done. I am. I, I won't shy away from that. No, man. but I, it's cool. I yeah. love that. It's cause it's kind of different from me too. And you're also very, like, you're very wholesome. You're a very wholesome person. You have a lot of good ethics, um, morals, you know, I don't know. I, I cling to people like that who are a little bit different than me. I, you know, cause I look up to people like you and, you know, I don't know. So yeah, I want to hear a little bit more. I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, that's probably one of my, actually one of my biggest insecurities is that I wonder or worry that I'm too like simple and wholesome of a person. Um, so I appreciate that. Cause it's always something I'm like, do I could live in a box and like eat tuna and rice and be happy every day. Like I've it's always just, yeah. And then what's cool though, is I feel like you're also an intellectual and you, you're very intelligent and you understand things. Um, you know, one of my best friends, when I first started lifting, he was like the same, he was just like you very simple though, but I always like wished I could be more like him. Like he had the same girlfriend from high school on and he was totally fine with it. It was like his mm -hmm. woman. And then mm -hmm my mind, I was always like, well, what if I'm missing out on all these other girls? And I, <laughs> I just was, I'm always overanalyzing shit. And sometimes yep. I wish it was a little bit more simple because he was always just like, I got my girl and that's all I need. And now all I need is like a gym and a job and that's it. And then my mind yep. is always like, I'm always overthinking too much. It gets me in trouble. Yep. I'm definitely yep. way too much of an intellectual sometimes in my head and always questioning and wanting to push the limits. Um, yeah. but I'm sure you have some, some spicy shit under the hood too, that I don't know if I'll, I can tap into it on this episode, but maybe eventually. Yeah, no, I mean, and I, I'll kind of just share my story of, you know, what got me, I guess, to current and, you know, why all that fitness and all that matters to me so much. Cause I definitely have a deeper meaning behind it other than just, you know, I like to look good or I like working out. Um, but I appreciate the kind words. So thank you. Um, so, you know, like I said, got into it when I was 16, did my first show, bit by the bug and, you know, came home and told my parents, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Um, so really leaned into that and continued to bodybuild and, uh, you know, really pursue that hard all the way through high school. Um, got to the end of high school and knew that I did not want to go off and go to a university just yet. I wanted to try and save some money. And I would just become a certified personal trainer at the time. And the guy who was my bodybuilding coach, uh, Jesse Leva, who also kind of taught me everything I knew about training, took me under his wing and allowed me to be a trainer at their uh, studio here in the Flower Mound area. And, uh, you know, that was kind of what I did for work while I was going to community college, uh, North Central Texas College, getting my basics out of the way still competing super hard, like, you know, just fully going at it again. I just love to train and like getting to see your body just like go to extremes. And as Adam said, like, I'm blessed to have great genetics. So like, I really got to just try and make my body, you know, the craziest thing that I could even think that it could be. Um, so was, you know, personal training clients at the time going to school 
And um, I got to 20, 21 years old. And uh, it was like my next biggest show coming up, uh, you know, finally, like my one that I was going to try and qualify and go to nationals and maybe get a pro card and uh, something along that for some reason, like during that prep. And then I ended up losing the show, getting second and, you know, not really being happy with things. I just it kind of, I guess, shifted my mindset on I just didn't like who I became through that competing phase that I just became like so focused on myself and what I wanted to look like and, you know, I'm taking all these drugs and it's making me a bit of a different person. Um, and from then I kind of like that. I'll never forget that day after the show. I was like, I'm done with this. I don't think I'm going to do this anymore long term. And, uh, you know, basically change my idea around what fitness is and why I think it's important, um, because I didn't want to be this like big, arrogant meathead of a guy. Like I said, I'm super simple and I felt like I became very prideful and all about myself during that time. So from then on out, um, you know, I ended up, you know, saying, hey, I'm done with competing and, you know, fitness to me is just going to be about health and longevity, really the time going forward um, and transferred out to uh, Texas Tech a semester later, about six months later to finish out uh, my undergrad degree in kinesiology um, and kind of stayed active in fitness while I was there, but actually for a couple of years, like lived a normal college kid life because up until that point, I was super regimented and just, you know, came home, made my chicken and rice, trained really hard, didn't really party, didn't really drink. So got a little bit of time to like relax and still kept myself in shape, but more kind of focus on what I wanted to do long-term still was training clients, things of that nature uh, orange theory coach, even for a little bit, I've kind of been all over the map when it comes to personal training. Um, and then got my uh, undergrad in kinesiology and uh, got into medical cells with uh, Johnson and Johnson in uh, Houston. And, uh, you know, I got super lucky with that in the sense that I met somebody in Lubbock who was our West Texas rep and Elizabeth kind of took me under her arm. Shout out to Elizabeth for this and helped me make my way into that world um, and kind of getting into and I guess my reason for why getting into the medical sales route was I just like really love human to human connection. Uh, I think that's why I always loved personal training more than anything. Wasn't really like teaching people about fitness even. It was more just kind of like the connection I could have with them and, you know, maybe give them a positive impact in their life. And obviously fitness was the catalyst for that. Um, but I really just clung to the relationships that I developed through that. So medical cells was kind of like a good dichotomy of I wanted to say in something that's kind of health and fitness related, obviously. Um, and I just feel like I have a natural knack for the ability to, to develop relationships. Awesome. Um, so yeah, when that's kind of where I started my career with them and still currently work for Johnson and Johnson here in Dallas and sales rep for them. Um, so that's kind of my everyday thing, but fitness has still remained a large part of my life. And, you know, as Adam has talked about a little bit, I, and, 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 um, endurance athlete now and train for long distance running while still resistance training. But really it's just for me, like a passion that I don't think I'll ever be able to get rid of. And it's something that I wish I could like get most people to experience because for me, like it really is, I think, the thing that allows me to excel as much as I can as a person or gives me the tools to do that. Um, and I think really is simply to like boil it down for people why I think just fitness or, you know, I don't know, physical activity is so important. And like you were talking about earlier, really pushing yourself hard is like those 
little moments of like where you're just a physical exhaustion and like everything in you says like, Hey, shut it down. You know, you can come back to the SMAR. You need your rest or your rest being able to like just push through those and just eke out a couple more, you know, yards on a sled push or a couple more reps or whatever it is like that builds so much just like internal, I don't know, power yeah, almost for power. yourself. Yeah, yeah it, it really does in the sense of like you get through and like your first couple of times of ever doing that in your life. It's like, man, like I never even thought I was capable of that. And like those little areas, I think there's so much exponential growth because that, you know, extrapolates out to you're going to have times like that. And with your work, your career, your relationship, where like everything in you is just wanting like, man, just pull the plug, like be done with this. But if you really like push against the grain and say, you know what? No, I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to make it through this. Like you may get so much more growth than you ever had, you know, you know, years up working to that. So for me, that's kind of what it's all about at the end of the day is just continually finding those moments of discomfort and pushing myself through it. Cause I think it just, you know, basically gives me the tools to uh, build the life that I want to, cause I've fought through that and didn't give up when, you know, I wanted to. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, let's see. What did I want to ask in the, uh, in the early times, do you think there was any, like, did you have any insecurity that fueled your passion for lifting and getting bigger? I feel like most of us do, but, or were you just really into it and, and you yeah. started taking off and you were fine with that? It wasn't really a, to impress anybody. Yeah. And I think that's probably what makes my fitness journey is a little weirder is yeah, there was no, I know for a lot of people, yeah, it's a catalyst of they had some ins and there's nothing wrong with that. I should say um, that if there is a reason as to why, if it's an insecurity or whatever it may be, um, but for me, I just simply liked training and I just thought it was fun. There was nothing really that uh, was the catalyst to kind of make me go after it. Yeah. See, you're just one of those fucking wholesome dudes. <laughs> <laughs> that's opposite of me. You know, mine like stemmed back to, like I said, I had an eating disorder and things at the time. There was always that on my mind. It was always like, how do I look to people? And um, yeah, one of the one thing that came out of where my, I know where my eating disorder started and I've never told my family this, but when I did move, uh, you know, with my family into there, my older brother who did pick on me, which I'm happy he did him. And even my stepmom told me I was chunky, which I don't think I was just her kids were so long and lanky. Mm -hmm. And I think I was normal. And I think it was all in fun. And they were just, it was a fun, like kind of, Oh, you're like chunky Adam or whatever. And like pinched my belly fat. And I remember that. I remember my brother, like a few times would pinch my lower, like the lower area of what would be abs. I'm a fucking kid. I shouldn't even have thought of no one abs were, but yeah. I pinch that area and like make fun of it and like slap it or something, you know, like slap my tummy. And I think I was just like, I wasn't to say I was a chunky kid is a misnomer. Like when I look back, I'm like, oh my God, because I, I talking about identity, I had that in my mind. I'm a chunky kid because this is, I'm not like Nicole and Alex. I'm they're long and lanky and skinny and I'm a chunky kid. And so that always remained in my mind. I remember when even, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12, 13, like when I wore my board shorts, I hiked them up over my belly button. So you couldn't see the little dip of like, you know, my fat roll. Like even mm. when you see pictures of me, my pants are high. I look like a dork, but I thought to me, like, well, my upper part of my abdomen is leaner. I just don't want yes. people to see that lower yes. area. And so that was always in my mind. And then I got to the point where I knew that like exercise and food could control that. And then, you know, starting in high school, I went through one year where 
I, I remember I rode my bike to a local Safeway, which is in the California. It's like a Kroger essentially, or a HEB or whatever. Um, and I, I got a, a magazine that said, you know, like six weeks to abs. And I followed it to a freaking T I was doing, I was doing sit-ups in my bed, in my room every night with the door closed. And I'd wake up early and run before my family was even awake. And I remember I almost ate like nothing that summer. I, I was like living on watermelon because I knew mm -hmm. it had really low calories. I didn't even know about protein and shit. And I just got skinny as hell. That was like my sophomore year. And, but then I just knew like, okay, now I'm long and lengthy. Now this is my new identity. I'm a skinny person. I'm a skateboarder. I'm a punk rocker and they're skinny and lanky and, and have uh, abs. yeah, and they <laughs> have abs and, and that's kind of where it all started. So, but that was always in my mind too. Like going into fitness was always like, how do I look? And now my new identity is how I look. And I, yeah, but it's really cool that you are one of those just actual wholesome people who are just passionate about athletics and human performance. And, and I've always wished that. And that's why I did get into CrossFit because it was those kind of people who were like, this isn't about what you look like. Um, you know, I love bodybuilding for sure, but it was for somebody like me who had a disorder, it was really path. It was hard. It hurt the disorder a lot. It fueled the yeah. disorder. So yes. when I went to CrossFit where they literally like, it's kind of an unspoken rule that you don't have a rule that you don't have mirrors in a CrossFit gym. You don't mm -hmm. care what people look like and everybody takes their shirt off. It doesn't matter if you've got a big old greasy, hairy, fat belly, or you're the shredded, you know, actual dude who's competing and yeah. nobody comments on your body. Like, yep. you know, at the end, people will flex kind of kidding around. Um, but no, I mean, and we all care kind of, but it's not spoken about, which I really liked because I was like, I'm actually not even allowed to talk about what I look like here. Like the only way that I can do something is if I put a number up on the board. And so I kind of switched my mind over to performance. So again, just a little aside, but it's super cool that you were kind of always that way. And you weren't, you weren't disordered. Yeah. Like like people like me who were all fucked up. No. And that's a perfect transition. Cause I kind of wanted to get to that as, as why, like it's such a passion to help others with it for me is I consider myself lucky that I'm just one of those weirdos that likes it simply for the human performance aspect of it. And I wish I could get like everyone that's into fitness to start viewing it through that lens of like, man, it's so cool that your body is like just capable of doing any of these things, whether you're a swimmer, a biker, whatever it is, or if you're a mom of four and you get up and walk two miles every day. Like you should feel badass about that. It's cool that your, our bodies are, you know, have the ability to perform so many different athletic tasks, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, so yeah, just I think, and that's why I stepped away from competing too, because I just got really grossed out with that like culture of just, oh man, it's all about how I look. I'm going to do everything I can to look this certain way, but I'm really not healthy. And I'm kind of lying about everyone telling them I am, but I know that I'm taking all these drugs or all these precautions and things that really are not doing anything for me for the long term and are super unachievable for the average person because I'm again having to do all this stuff to support this it's not just being healthy um so yeah that's kind of why I stepped away from it and then just totally started focusing on longevity you know being an endurance runner still resistance training but um going back to like my roots of hey I was given this body I should do everything I could to keep it healthy so I can live a long happy life um and I, you know, think so many people nowadays, it's probably really hard getting into the fitness space when they see so many things online or comparing themselves to how they look to, you know, X, Y, and Z person. And in reality, it's just not about that at all. 
Um, and you know, for anyone listening to this, like just remember it that it's you know not a comparison game at all. As Adam said earlier, I'm someone who's super blessed to have great genetics, so that may allow me to look a certain way, but it doesn't mean that the person next to me who doesn't maybe look as in quotes ripped isn't just as healthy as I am or healthier. Um, and I think that's one of the things I fell in love with about the running community as well, just like the CrossFit that like it's people from all walks of life. No one's really concerned about what you look like, what you're doing. Like everyone at a race is cheering on the, you know, 45 year old mom that's just finishing her first half marathon to the uh, girl who's, you know, breaking a world record. It's all just like, hey, we should celebrate that uh, we all have the ability to perform at this level as a human. So. Oh yeah. Well, cool. I think that's probably a good place to end it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully those listening got to know a little bit about us. Um, you know, drop a comment. Nobody's commenting on our shit. We've got almost 2000, <laughs> almost 2000 followers really quickly. So we appreciate all you guys listening. You're listening, uh, you know, feel free to comment down there too. We'd love to kind of talk to you guys and let us know anything else you want to hear. Um, yeah. Thanks for coming along on this journey and, yeah, like I said, hopefully you got to know a little bit more about us. We got wholesome Josh and fucked up Adam over here. And, <laughs> you know, again, I, I really want to stress like life was very normal and great for me. And I'm, I did feel like I had a, a cool upbringing. I'm happy with it. Um, and, but hopefully that, it kind of speaks to other people too, who, you know, we look at the Josh's where we're like, man, look at that perfect family, which I'm sure that Josh could dive into some shit on us where things weren't always perfect. Everybody's got that. But you don't need to be a certain, you don't have to fit into a certain box to become a certain person. You know, look at just yesterday or this morning, I woke up to a, a text from my uh, high school uh, classmate. And I think she went home and looked at her yearbook and she was sent a joke, like, just in case you wanted a new profile picture and this picture of me, my hair is like, you know, shagged <laughs> and black and fucking long and I'm all scrawny and I didn't even reply, but I was like, Let's, yeah, I've come a long way, you know? So just if you're in one box now, you don't, have to, you don't have to be stuck in that box. Just like, you know, we are opened up this thing with that clip of that actor, you know, who came over and was in a, in a camp and a refugee camp. He didn't have to stay as a victim, as a refugee. He's now a freaking multimillionaire winning Oscars. So yeah, you know, hopefully, hopefully it, it inspires some of you. And if you have similar stories, you know, reach out, talk to us. We'd love to hear about it. And uh, to Adam's point and kind of my closing thoughts too, coming from, the other side of the aisle that, yeah, again, I don't want to make it be like I had the perfect life and the perfect childhood, but very blessed, as I'll say a million times, to grow up how I did. Um, you shouldn't feel guilty if you did have that type of upbringing. Yeah. I struggled with that for a lot of years, just knowing how hard people around me had it. And um, it's not anything you should ever feel guilty for, if anything. You should look at it as like you're very blessed to be able to have the insight to speak to others that you know did not grow up like that and it maybe gives you the tools and the abilities to help other people work through stuff that were not as lucky as you um so yeah don't ever look at it a negative i feel like sometimes that's cast upon people now that grow up with a little more privilege that like hey, it wasn't your fault that you grew up like that you know make the most of it um and yeah definitely don't fuck it up if you did have those <laughs> uh you know things there to help you along the way so yeah Cool. And, uh, you know, for anything you guys want to hear us talk about going forward, fitness, more personal, like as Adam was saying, comment, let us know. 
Um, my, I don't think we've given like our Instagram handles and stuff, but my Instagram is at Josh Lewis 23. And, um, I don't know what yours is, but I'll let uh, you tell them if you guys want to follow doctor. Yeah. At Dr. D R, uh, A E H O T C H K I S S. So A E Hotchkiss. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up Atlas hour episode three, and we'll see you soon. Atlas two hours. No <laughs> <laughs> right. See you guys.